Good morning. <laughs> I'm Peggy. Today's scripture is John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. <clears throat> but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow fills your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the rule ruler of this world is judged I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you this is the word of our Lord you may be seated Well, good morning, Redemption Tucson. My name's Jake. I'm, I, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I, I, I realized uh, during the, the welcome when, when uh, Marcus was giving the announcements, I realized why Dave asked me to speak this morning was because he wanted to be the first in line for the tacos, of course. Um, so, um, smooth mood, Dave. I would have done it too. Um, so... Um, we're going to dive into the scriptures this morning. If you uh, have your Bible, open it up to John 16. We're going to be looking a lot at John 16. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We have Bibles for you. We would love for you to have a Bible in your hand, um, to be following along. If you don't own a Bible, um, keep this one. This is our gift to you. Um, you're welcome to take it home, mark it up, do whatever you wish with it. Um, we also have those in Spanish. If you would like to follow along in Spanish, we do have those um, for you as well. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to pray, and then I, I, I've kind of um, uh, modeled this sermon um, as kind of a part two. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Keith preached on John 14 about the Holy Spirit. I, I'm kind of seeing it as a part two to that sermon. If you don't remember it or if you weren't here that week, uh, it is online. Go, go listen to that. Um, but we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into uh, the, 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 the text this morning. So bow your heads and pray with me. God, you are good. And we thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are the way maker. Um, and Father, that you are the promise keeper. 
and we can rest on your faithfulness uh, throughout all generations and that you are uh, the God who has loved us even when we did not love you, Lord, you have loved us first. Father, as we, as we dive into your word this morning, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you would have for us. For those of us in the room who, who would not claim to be Christians, I pray that, you, that they would see you more clearly this morning. And for those of us who are Christians, uh, I, I pray that, um, that you would continue to deepen our faith to, again, see you more clearly this morning. Father, may you be good to us. May you uh, give us your grace this morning. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is um, uh, talking with his disciples, and he, he starts talking about um, the helper who is to come. And I would say, and I want to start by asking you a question, what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? I think of the majority of us don't think of the Holy Spirit very often at all. And some of us, we can't have our coffee in the morning until we get us some spirit time. And so, what do you think of when you think of the Spirit? Some of us live in the Spirit and are attentive to the Spirit's working in our everyday lives. Some of us, not so much. Most of us don't really know what the Spirit does, what the Holy Spirit does. And we've seen and heard of the Spirit working in other churches, where there's people speaking in tongues or uh, people who are miraculously healed or we've watched videos of people being overcome with the Spirit and falling on the floor, or somebody comes up and tells us a word from the Spirit about some future event that's going to happen in our lives. And we often think that when the Spirit works, He does massive, amazing revivals that we've seen throughout history, um, or uh, we see hundreds of people get baptized, and it's like, oh, the Spirit is working. We often think of the gifts of the Spirit, that everyone is gifted by the Spirit for some sort of power to serve in the church, but we don't really know what that is like, and we kind of treat it more of like God placing us in a, in a Hogwarts house than actually what the Spirit does in our lives. The majority of us, when we think of the Spirit's work in our lives in the church, we tend to think of the, the big and miraculous. And so, as a result, we don't really think that, we don't really experience the, the, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We think He's not working in our lives. And so, um, in John 16, He is spending um, His last few moments, it is likely that He is walking toward or has already arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane, where in John 17, He's going to pray and then in John 18, he's going to be betrayed, arrested, and eventually led to the cross. This is the last conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so, let's look at what, the, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. And I think we'll find that the, the, the Holy Spirit is infinitely more active in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts than we really know. 
So let's take a look. John 16, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, now Jesus has continually made this statement, especially in the last few chapters, Jesus has repeated this statement of, I'm leaving you. He said it multiple times, but this one is a little bit different. He says, I'm leaving you, I'm going to the cross, I'm, I'm going to go die, I'm leaving you, but he adds something here. He says, it is better for me to go away. It's better that Jesus would leave them. And I want to dwell on this for a second, because do we actually believe that? Isn't there a part of us that just wishes we could see Jesus face to face, that, that we live 2,000 years after he was on the earth, if we could just, oh, if we could just, if we could be there, if we could have seen him, if we could have heard his preaching, if we could have heard the Sermon on the Mount, then, then maybe my faith will be better. I would not question my faith. I would not question if Jesus is real. If I could just see him, if he could be here, See, Jesus says that's not the best thing for you. So according to Jesus, why is it better that he would leave? Why is it better that Jesus would leave? Now, of course, we, you know, we've read the book. We know what happens. Jesus has to go to the cross. We know that. He's got to go to the cross to be a sacrifice for sins. We know that. It was the very purpose for which Jesus came to earth. We, we understand that. And that task is for him and for him alone. The disciples cannot bear the weight of God's wrath for sin. He's got to go do that. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. We know that to be true, but uh, what Jesus is going is uh, for why it's better, we pick it up here in verse 7. Why is it better that Jesus would leave? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When, when Jesus leaves, the helper comes. Jesus to go to the cross, die, be resurrected three days later, ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God, and once that work is complete, Jesus sends the helper, the Spirit of God, to his people. And what Jesus is predicting here in John 16 uh, happens in Acts 2, and I encourage you to go read that uh, maybe later today, Acts chapter 2, about the coming of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God himself. Come not to merely live on earth at a specific time, at a specific place in him, as Jesus did, but to live in the hearts of everyone who has put their faith in Christ for all eternity. And it's important to note, because I think our culture really doesn't know what's going on with the Spirit. It's important to note that the Holy Spirit is not the force. It's not a mystical cloud that judges hearts. It's not a mystical superpower 
that you can control to do your bidding. No, the, the, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, the Spirit of God uh, does the work of God, and it's closely related with the Father and with the Son. So closely that often the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God or even the Spirit of Christ. As in Joel 2, when God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Or Romans 8, this is an amazing passage because uh, in one sentence, Paul says that uh, the Spirit of God dwells in us. In the very next sentence, he says, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is God himself, what the, what the early church fathers called homoousios, or the same substance as the Father. He's the, the same godness of Jesus and the same godness of Father. And when the work of Christ is completed, the Spirit begins his work. So what does the Spirit do? He's sent by Jesus, as we see here in the text, but what does he do? And it's that question where Jesus spends the rest of this text explaining and where we will spend the rest of our time this morning. Um, and so Jesus mentions here three things. A couple of, couple of weeks ago, uh, Keith had his three points were three Ps. I couldn't make it figure out that way, um, unfortunately, but the Holy Spirit does three things. The Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit uh, glorifies, and the Holy Spirit applies. Holy Spirit convicts, glorifies, and applies. First, let's take a look at the Holy Spirit convicts. Pick it up in verse 8. And when he comes, talking about the Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and, they will see, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And Jesus used the word conviction here um, in a exposing to be guilty sense. Like how we use the word uh, a criminal was convicted of a crime. That's kind of the same sense that he's using here. Um, uh, that it is, uh, in a sense, the Holy Spirit exposing wrong in the world. And one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to expose or convict of sin. God is the creator of all things of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He is perfectly just and right and acts and does morally perfect things all the time, every time. He is by his very nature good and kind and true. He is the ultimate standard for right and wrong. But we turned and we rebelled. And we rebelled against God because we decided that we didn't want to follow God. And instead, we, we, we chose, and, and I think we choose every day, to do it our own way. To trust in something other than God. To decide for ourselves what is right apart from God. And we try every day to make ourselves like God, determining what is right and what is wrong. We lie to make ourselves look great. We get angry when things don't go our way. 
We cheat others so we can win. We lie to, to, to protect ourselves so people don't know the truth about us. We turn on our computers and on our phones and we watch women in fleeting moments of pleasure. We speak evil of those around us, either out loud or in our minds. We frantically try to control every situation because we can't sit for a moment and recognize that everything is out of our control. We turn to drink, we turn to pot, we turn to other substances because we believe that this will just make us feel better for a moment. We have failed to believe in God, and instead we try and believe in ourselves. That's why it says here that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin because they do not believe in me. All of our sin at its root is because we don't believe that God is who he says he is. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict us and expose our sin. Most of the time, this is in a very private matter, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, helping you to recognize your error, and revealing ways that we've wronged God. Sometimes, it's in a more public way. You are, you, you are caught in your sin, much like uh, Nathan comes and confronts David when uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Sometimes it's from a spouse. A lot of times it's from our kids. This is the Holy Spirit convicting us of, our ser- uh, of wrong and showing us our error everything will be exposed. As Jesus said in Luke 12, nothing is covered up that won't be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in private rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. It is one of the most difficult things as a Christian, that the Holy Spirit is constantly showing us ways in which we've failed, the ways in which we have wronged God. It's like someone constantly showing a mirror up to your face, and you look awful. It's hard, but this is God in his love showing us our wrong. It's like a parent who uh, sees their child doing something that is going to cause them danger, but so they stop it so they would not continue and hurt themselves. Conviction of sin is really hard, but it is beautiful. And so I want to ask, how do you respond when you're convicted of sin? Do you try and hide Do you run? Do you blame others? Do you blame your parents? Do you blame society? What do you do? Or do you even feel that that, that you have sin, that that, that you are a sinner? You certainly have never done anything wrong enough for, for God to convict you. You've never done anything big enough. You're doing just fine, and anything wrong in your life is due to something else, and it's not your fault. The Bible tells us, if that's you, the Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you're not convicted by your sin, there is a chance, there is a chance that the Holy Spirit is not in you, and you're not saved. 
But if the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, shows you your error, and you see and know and feel the weight of your sin, the weight of your sin against God, consider it a blessing. Because although it is painful to see areas of our life that we have uh, wronged God and see areas of our life that we have rebelled against God, conviction means the Spirit of God is at work in you. Jesus also says here that the, the, the Holy Spirit will convict concerning righteousness and judgment. And I think that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Um, but uh, uh, I think it will suffice to say that um, I think Paul flushes this out in Romans 1. Um, Paul says uh, in Romans 1 concerning uh, his son Jesus, um, that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according, here it is, by the spirit of holiness. It's there as well that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead. And so kind of what I think Jesus is getting out here with the righteousness and judgment piece is that how do we know? How do we know that Jesus was the Son of God? How do we know that he was the righteous one and just not some fancy teacher 2,000 years ago? How do we know that he was the Holy One of God? He was raised. He was raised from the dead, and he has ascended to sit at the right hand of power next to God. Death could not hold Jesus. In this way, the ruler is also judged. As Jesus is ascended, Satan is judged, and the head of the serpent is crushed. Jesus is king. Jesus is in control. Sin and death could not him, and Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus has won, and his ascension proves that Satan has been defeated and has been disarmed uh, over any power that he has over God's people. Satan loses. Jesus wins. And we believe this because the Holy Spirit convicts us of it. The Holy Spirit convicts, but he also glorifies Look at verse 14. Very simply, Jesus says, He will glorify me. See, the, the, the Holy Spirit shows us the depth of our sin, but that's not all He shows us. He exposes wrong in the world, but He doesn't stop there. He shows us the remedy. He doesn't just show us that our way of life is broken, He shows us where to be satisfied. He doesn't just show us that our attempts at self-righteousness are filthy. He shows us where true righteousness is found. The Holy Spirit shows us our sin, but he also shows us our Savior. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and gives us a sense of the worthiness of Christ. If you have seen the beauty of Jesus, then the Spirit has been at work in you. And due to our sin, uh, we don't, this is not something we naturally see. Have you had those moments, whether you're listening to worship music in the car or spending some time in prayer and reading your Bible, um, and, and, and you see Jesus in a better light? Maybe it's at a church service. You see Jesus in a better light. 
This is the Holy Spirit working in you to help to see the beauty of your Savior. Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and understand who Jesus is. If you love Jesus and have trusted him, that's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And it is worth noting that the Holy Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit's role, the work that he's doing is not to glorify you. And we often think that way. His job is not to glorify you. And uh, the Holy Spirit's role is to, uh, we often think this way, to, to give us a gift so we can use it in the church and I can have power to do awesome things. Then I can use those gifts that God has given me to, to, to benefit me, make me look cool, make me look good, make me feel good, and then I can be like Samson and have super strong powers and do awesome things, and everyone would cheer for me. Or better yet, uh, then I would have like an Obi-Wan Kenobi voice in the back of my head saying, use the force, and I'll do awesome things, and everyone will cheer for me, and I'll get a medal. Often we think of the Holy Spirit in that way. The gifts that the Holy Spirit provides to empower his people for the sake of the church is not to glorify you or to help build your own kingdom. It's to make much of Jesus and his kingdom. He will glorify me. And often, kind of in this same, th- same thread, often us in, in, in kind of the Reformed faith, we get accused of, of talking about G- uh, the Holy Spirit too little and talking about Jesus too much. We are lopsided in our honor of Jesus at the detriment of our honor of the Holy Spirit. On one hand, I would say that accusation is absolutely true. We don't pay very much attention to the Spirit's working in our life, and we need to to do that. We need to cultivate in our church and in our prayer life a heavier awareness of the Spirit of God and a heavier reliance on the Spirit, Spirit of God. However, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit's job is not to glorify the Holy Spirit. It's not to glorify himself, but instead point our attention, show the infinite glory, show the infinite worthiness of the Son. He instead reflects, is not selfish, but he reflects glory to Jesus. And so for for those of us in, in the room that are proud of our theology that we know the doctrines of the Reformed faith, and we know the five solas, we can quote them all, and we are often proud in our knowledge of theology. We need to humble ourselves, because what this passage is saying is that we would not understand a single word of theology if it were not for the Holy Spirit. My, my daughters, as, as all kids, they love to help. And they particularly love to help when I'm doing yard work in the backyard. And one thing that they love to do um, is when I'm pushing the wheelbarrow uh, throughout the yard, they love to come in, uh, in front of it, and they like to kind of lift it up and help me push. Especially my two-year-old loves to do this. And um, uh, you can just imagine a two-year-old trying to lift up a heavy wheelbarrow and push it along. Of course, I'm behind her with the, the handles lifting it and pushing it. How ridiculous would it be if she ran to her sisters and been like, I lifted the wheelbarrow all by myself, 
and you should think I'm awesome because of it. Look at how great I am. Look at what I did all by myself. That's, that's what it looks like for the arrogant among us who are proud of their knowledge of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be nothing. We would not sing, Christ alone, my hope is found without the Holy Spirit. We would not say, sola Deo gloria, glory to God alone without the Holy Spirit. For those of us who say it's, like, it's just me and the Bible, I got my Bible and I'm good, you would not understand a single word in the entire Bible if it were not for the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit at work in you to help us understand the things of God. If you have never seen Jesus as God in the flesh, if you've never seen him as your Savior, I pray that you would see him that way today. Jesus came and died for sins, was resurrected in power, and is now seated in heaven in glory. And may you now see him and trust him with your whole heart. Part of the Christian life is God continually showing us the depth of our sin, but just as continually showing us the love of God in our Savior. As Charles Spurgeon famously uh, once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. May you know your sin deeply, Redemption Church, so you can see your Savior all the more. The Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit glorifies, and finally the Holy Spirit applies. Take a look at verse 14 and 15. He will glorify me, we already covered that, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes all that we have um, all that, that we have in Jesus, and he, he gives it to us. He takes the, the objective reality of Jesus living and dying 2,000 years ago, the fact of history, and he makes it a subjective reality for us. To, to, to kind of explain what I mean by this, um, World War II ended in September of 1945. However, it took weeks and months for all the soldiers to return home. The war was objectively over in September, but it wasn't a subjective reality until those soldiers walked through the, the door to their home. The Holy Spirit takes the objective fact of history and makes it have a home in us. Jesus died for his people and paid for their sins. The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and gives us the faith to believe and cleanses us from the power of sin. Listen to this. In Titus 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Christ saved us not on the basis of deeds, but according to his mercy. So Christ saved us according to his mercy, and, and here it is, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us all that Jesus has. In Redemption Church, Jesus has everything. Jesus has the perfect love and acceptance of the Father and all the steadfast love that, Je that the Father has for Christ. Christ gives it to us. 
In a couple of weeks, we'll be in John 17, and, and I want you to kind of listen to this because uh, in his prayer, Jesus highlights this idea of applying or giving us all that Jesus has. In, in, in John 17, he says that uh, the Father and uh, the Son may be one, and we would be one in them as well. The glory that the Father has given to the Son, the Son gives to his people that they may be perfectly one, that we may be perfectly one as the Father and the Son are perfectly one. The Spirit comes and gives us the perfect love of the Father. That's why Jesus, when he's speaking of the Spirit, uh, a couple of chapters ago in uh, in chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We are given the internal sonship of Jesus and adopted by God through the power of the Spirit. We are not alone. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is with us, and we are loved completely and perfectly. And Ephesians tells us that our inheritance in heaven was it was purchased by Jesus on the cross, but it was sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to, to give us kind of a, a practical way that we see the Holy Spirit giving us the things of God um, in applying the work of Christ to us. And so um, if you would, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, it'll be on the screen as well, and it's a, it's a famous passage of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, doing something in our lives. And so I'm going to read it, and then we'll dive into that. So Galatians chapter 5, picking it up in verse 20, uh, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. So this is a famous passage. It's a famous passage. You get, you've probably heard this passage um, at some point, and the way we approach this passage, or at least I've approached it in, in my life, is, all right, it's saying the fruit of the Spirit, the, the effect of the Spirit working in our lives, one of it is patience. Okay, I'm, I'm not patient. I know that. I need to be more patient and more gentle. So I got to grit my teeth, and I have to be more patient and gentle. I've got to be more patient with my kids, so I got to be more patient. For those of you who don't know, that's not how to be patient. And that's often how we take this passage, and I don't think it's meant to be taken that way. And if we understand this idea of the Holy Spirit applying the works, the character of God to us, um, uh, then I think we need to look at this passage a little bit differently. See, what the Holy Spirit is doing here in Galatians uh, about the fruit of the Spirit, He's not creating in us or forcing in us character traits that are foreign to God. But these traits flow out of the very character of who God is. God is all of these things, and the Spirit is changing us to be more like God. So I wanted to walk through them. Love. 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Joy, Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or Hebrews 12, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Peace, 2 Thessalonians 3, now the, may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. Patience, Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Kindness, Romans 2, don't, do you not know that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance? Goodness, 1 Chronicles 16, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercies endure forever. Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all. Psalm 33, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Nahum 1.7, yes, Nahum 1.7, that's a book in the Bible. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. When, when Moses comes in, in, in Exodus 34 and, and he asks to see the glory of God, God responds, I will make my goodness pass before you. Faithfulness. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Gentleness. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Self-control. 1 Peter 2, when he, talking about Jesus, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. See, the, the, the character and the kind of person that the Spirit is developing in us as followers of Christ is the very character of God himself. God is making us more like him through the work of the Spirit. And see, we often think of the Spirit doing big, miraculous things. And he does that. But for so many of us, we think if we are not seeing those big miraculous things, we think that the Spirit isn't working in our lives. But if we would look back on our lives as Christians, we could see over time a deeper knowledge of our sin, a deeper knowledge of our Savior, and we would see that we have become more like Jesus than what, than what we once were. This is the Spirit's work in us. So, in light of such an incredible helper, let us go boldly and ask for help. I challenge you to ask for more of the Spirit's work in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would expose sin in your life. I understand that's a scary prayer to make. I don't want to make that prayer. But what if the Holy Spirit brought to light the ways in which uh, your sin has grieved your Heavenly Father? And if you were doing something 
that was hurting your spouse, wouldn't you want your spouse to tell you about it? Pray that the Holy Spirit would show you your sin. Secondly, in light of your sin being exposed, pray that the Holy Spirit would show you your Savior all the more. Pray that you would see Jesus more beautifully, see him more clearly, and that may, once you have been shown the depth of your sin, would you also be shown the depth of your love that your Savior has for you? May your sin drive you to your Savior. Lastly, pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to change you, that you would know, feel, and experience the love of Christ, not merely accomplished 2,000 years ago, but now in your heart and in your mind. Pray that your heart would reflect the perfect love of your Savior to those around you. God will answer these prayers. Jesus says in Luke 11, What father among you, when your son asked for a fish, instead of a fish, would you give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of you? So redemption, let's pray and rely heavily on the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you deeply. We need you urgently. And we need you always. Father, would you work in us? For those of us who have uh, sin exposed even now, um, would you show us the love of your Savior? Father, you are good. And you are patient with us, and you are kind with us, and you are gentle with us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your spirit that we would not be alone, that we would not be um, left as orphans, but Lord, that you come to us and are with us. God, you are good, and we thank you so much for all that you are in your Son, in Jesus' name, amen.